my name is Israel Arianis, um, and uh, first of all, I just want to say that I'm glad you're here. Whatever obstacles that you had to overcome to get here, we're happy you're here. Um, so we're about three days into the new year, January 3rd, and I don't think, I don't think it, uh, it couldn't have come soon enough. <laughs> we all have had our fill of 2020. Amen? <laughs> It'll go down in the history books as the year that we like to forget. Uh, everything familiar to us was tested. Even our basic humanity was challenged. Do I take what I need and leave some for you, or do I take as much as my entire family can carry and leave you paperless? Toilet paperless. <laughs> um, <laughs> 2020 also brought us uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Anxiety disorder among U.S. adults has tripled. Depressive disorder is approximately four times greater than it was the previous year. And for many, 2020 signified the loss of a lifestyle, loss of income, loss of relationships, and even worse, uh, the loss of hope. So where do we go from here? Where do we continue to push forward? What, uh, how do we find our footing as we head into the new year? What's the stable ground to move in after a year like that? How do we find our true north and begin moving towards a healthy lifestyle again and into a healthy direction? Well, let me just start by saying this. And if you don't hear anything else that I have to say, hear me now. God is still for you. He's still for you. He hasn't left, even in the midst of the circumstances. We talked about peace uh, a couple weeks ago. And even in the midst of the circumstances and even in the midst of everything else, he is still here for you specifically. Now, Psalm 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he goes on to say that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now in Psalm 23, this is David's declaration about who's going to be leading his life from this point forward. David is saying, the Lord is, David isn't saying, the Lord is my shepherd, he's not yours. In all actuality, this is an invitation and a reminder that he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's my shepherd, but he can be yours too. And whether you would like to admit it or not, everybody has a shepherd. And no, not just some guy that walks around with a bunch of sheep behind him. <laughs> Everyone has something or someone that leads them through life. Now, I'm, and for a lot of you independent folks out there, you may be your own shepherd. You may depend on your own wisdom and understanding to determine the best course and direction for your life. Your shepherd may be a relationship. The pursuit of love is what leads you through life and helps you make your decisions. Or your shepherd could be an ideology or philosophy in life. Or maybe for a lot of the busy bees out there, your shepherd is your work. 
the next job promotion, the next, uh, the next step in moving forward in life as far as your career goes. But regardless of who or what it is, everyone has a shepherd. Now the good news this, now the good news this morning is that Jesus extends this invitation to us. He says, if you want me, I can be your shepherd. Now, Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3, <clears throat> taking it back there. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Oops, excuse me. <laughs> I shall not want, and perfect. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So catch what the good shepherd is like. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. And he guides me. That's what the good shepherd does. You know, he always does things on his terms, which a lot would say is a bad thing, but it's always for our benefit. Now, we often hear this psalm read at funerals, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But this isn't a psalm that's teaching us how to die. In reality, in the contrast of that, this psalm is one that's teaching us how to live. It is a psalm of submission. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. And he guides me. All of that requires a dependence on God. It requires a dependence and a relationship for him to be able to, uh, again, make us, lead us, restore us. Now, when I walk through the valley of, when I walk through the valley of darkness, and when the year reeks of death and decay, because God is my shepherd, I will fear no evil. Now, in verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Does that sound a little bit weird? I don't know if, and I don't know about you, but when I eat, I'm at like my most defenseless point because I'm just too busy, like zeroed in on food to really think about anything else. So, so for, for, it to, for him to be, for that to be made in the presence of my enemies, and when you think of your enemies, you think of being guarded and you think of being aware, it sticks out as, sticks out as a little bit odd. But in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my adversaries, in the presence of the antagonist, in the presence of unfavorable circumstances, in the presence of a pandemic, there will be good times. There will be times where God will choose to drive out our enemies from our lives or drive out the negative circumstances. He will choose to do that. But what I found is more often than not, He chooses to prepare a table of blessings in the midst and in the presence of that which stands against you in the presence of my enemy, in the presence of my pain, in the presence of my sickness, my anxiety, the presence of the unknown, in the presence of lost relationships, and in the presence of whatever or whoever decides to stand against you, he prepares a table of blessings for you because he is your good shepherd. Now, so verses five through six, my cup overflows, and surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I take a deep breath, too. I, did, I noticed I did that last service, and I kind of had to question myself on why I did that just now, but it's such a relief that when we choose to follow the good shepherd, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me for all the days of my life, 
just it's a little breath of fresh air, especially with the year that we've had. Now, you're being followed. And I kind of saw a couple of you guys go like this, like, what? You can't, no, not literally. You're not literally being followed. It's in a good way. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. He is with me. He comforts and protects me, prepares and provides for me, anoints me, and he follows me. Not only does a good shepherd lead you, but he also follows you. Isn't that cool? He follows you into the mess of your life. He follows you into the circumstances. He follows you into the lost, lost relationships. He leads and he follows because he loves you. You are surrounded by the presence of God, our presence of the good shepherd who calls you to the table he's prepared for you. And maybe this is what we needed to be reminded of today, especially as we move forward into this new year, three days in. God is your good shepherd. And he is here for you, for you, for you, and you. He's always going to be here for you.
our good shepherd. Amen. In 2003, the trajectory of British cycling changed drastically. A guy by the name of Dave Brailsford was hired to be the new performance director and given the challenge to put British cycling on the map, which was no easy feat. Since 1908, British cyclists had won just one gold medal in all of the Olympic Games. They fared even worse in cycling's biggest race, the Tour de France. In 110 years, not one British cyclist had ever won the event. In fact, their performance was so bad that a major bike manufacturer in Europe refused to sell the team bikes because they were afraid it would hurt sales. That's how you know when you're at the bottom of everything. Brailsford was one in a long line of coaches who came in enthusiastically but left defeated and dejected. But what made him different was his relentless commitment to a strategy that he referred to as the aggregation of marginal gains, which was the philosophy of searching for tiny margins of improvement in every area. He went on to say this, the whole principle came from the idea that if you broke down everything you could think of that goes into riding a bike, and then improve it by 1%, you will get a significant increase when you put them all together. So Brailsford and his coaches began to attack things that you would typically think that coaches might do of a professional cycling team. They redesigned the seats to make them more comfortable. They rubbed oil on the tires to get, or um, alcohol on the tires to give them better grip. The riders wore electronically heated clothing to maintain proper muscle temperature. The team tested out various fabrics in the wind tunnel to see which was more aerodynamic. The outdoor team switched to indoor team racing gear because it was lighter and more aerodynamic. But they did not stop there. They continued to look for 1% improvements and often overlooked in unexpected areas. For example, they tested different types of massage gels to see which one would give the fastest muscle recovery. They hired a surgeon to teach the athletes how to wash their hands in hopes that it would reduce them from getting sick. They determined the best type of pillow and mattress for each athlete as to give them the best night's sleep. They painted the inside of their van white so that they would more quickly be able to spot dirt and debris that could degrade the performance of the finely tuned machine. And it's these hundreds of small, uh, what may be seen as insignificant improvements accumulated, the results came faster than anyone could have expected. Just five years into Brailsford's tenure, the British cycling team dominated the road and track cycling event in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. They won 60% of the available gold medals. Four years later, when the Olympic Games came to London, they raised the bar again and set nine Olympic records and seven world records in the cycling sport. The same year, for the first time ever, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. The next year, his teammate, Chris Froome, won the race and would continue to win it for 2015, 16, and 17, giving the Brits team five Tour de France victories in six years. During his tenure, his 10-year plan from 707 to 17, British cyclist catch this, won 178 world championships 
66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured the Tour de France five times in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. Now's a good time for me to tell you that on New Year's Day, I rode my bike for a mile and didn't stop. And it was pretty fast, let me just tell you that. Well, how does this type of change happen? How do you take ordinary athletes and transform them into world champions with these tiny, small, insignificant changes that at first glance would seem to make a modest difference at best? Why do small improvements accumulate into such remarkable results? And how can we replicate this in our own lives. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. I am glad that you are here. We start on a new series, a new journey called Atomic Habits. It is based out of a book that I am currently reading by James Clear. The name of the book is the same title, Atomic Habits. If you're looking for something to read in the new year, strongly encourage you to pick this one up. The big idea is that we form habits and then our habits form us. Think about it, that you today are the, are the sum total of every decision that you've made, every habit, every action throughout your life. Now, where you find yourself today may be a good thing. Maybe you find yourself in a good place, or perhaps you hate where you find yourself. Either way, I think that, that if you can zoom out of your life and see the arc of your life, the timeline of your life, I think we would all see that where we find ourselves today should not really come as a surprise. Rather, the trajectory of our lives was being established years prior to our current situation or our current location. That small insignificant steps, seemingly trivial actions and habits accumulated over time and they have led us to where we find ourselves today. Listen, regardless of where you're at today, there was something that you can do for yourself in 2021 to make this year better than last year. And what that is, is that I'm asking that you would commit to be with us the next three or four weeks as we unpack this idea of atomic habits, as we take this atomic journey together. Now, if you're up for the challenge, there's three things that you're going to need to take this journey with us. The first thing that you're going to need is you are going to need some hope. You're going to need hope for your future, right? Hope for your future. John 4 describes Jesus' encounter with a woman from Samaria. It's known, she's known as the woman at the well. His disciples had gone on before him into town to get some food. And Jesus was exhausted, so he sat down by the well. And around noontime, uh, a woman came to gather water, and Jesus began a conversation with her. Now, she was taken aback because at that time, a Jewish man, especially a Jewish rabbi, would never communicate with a woman. And a Jew would certainly never communicate with a Samaritan because there was all type of racial tensions there. They viewed them as half-breeds. And so there, there was no communication that went on, right? There was all kinds of racial tension. But here, once again, we see Jesus breaking down stereotypes and breaking down social norms. That's what Jesus did. And so the conversation quickly turned personal. And Jesus asked, are you married? And she said, no, I am, I am not married. I do not have a husband. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly because you actually have not had one husband. You've, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is just a shack up. He didn't say those last two words, but that's kind of what he was implying, right? He's like, the one that you're with now, you're just living with 
there's no marriage. Now, we don't know her backstory, but we can be safe to assume that life has not been kind to this woman. We do know what women were treated like in this culture, and so it would be safe to assume that she was an outcast in her society, probably why she was coming to the well so late in the day to gather water, probably to avoid the whispers and the stares of others in her community. She was hopeless, and yet on this day she met hope. Listen to the profound statement that Jesus makes. John 4, 9 through 10. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And Jesus answered, catch this phrase, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living if you only knew who I am, if you only knew what I was like, if you only knew what I have to offer, you would ask me and I would give you the very thing that you crave, life. I would give you the very thing that you've been searching for in all of these relationships and have yet to find, I would give you life. And maybe this is something that we all need to hear today. Regardless of where you find yourself, I think Jesus is asking the same question. If you only knew me, if you only knew who I am, if you only knew the generosity of God, you would ask me for what you need in this year, and I would give it to you. Hope for your future. Perhaps today you need an infusion of hope. You need hope that tomorrow can in fact be better than today. You're going to take this journey with us. You're going to need some hope. In a period of time when Israel was, was, was under the uh, oppression of slavery uh, and, and when they were exiled, God spoke this future hope over an entire nation in Jeremiah 29, which is a popular verse. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. If you only knew, and maybe that's what you need to hear today, regardless of what circumstances look like, if you only knew the good that I have planned for you. You're going to take this journey with us. You're going to need hope for your future. And then you may need to repent from some of your past. Now, we don't like this word repent, right? We see it as negative, and there you go. It's this hellfire and brimstone stuff. But understand that repentance is a gift. Repentance is our chance to change directions. That's literally what repentance means. If, if you're going this way, to repent means you're turning and going the opposite direction. It is a gift God gives to his children. The same way that we give that gift to our children, right? We give our children the opportunity to repent, the opportunity to come clean, the opportunity to change direction. See, if 2020 is going to be your year, it may mean you need to repent from some things. See, God will not get you to where he wants you if you will not follow where he leads you. And if you're constantly moving the opposite direction, then scripture says you need a course correction. You need to repent. You need to turn and go the opposite way. Maybe you've heard the poem. It's called Life in Five Chapters. It goes like this. Chapter one, I was walking down a street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk and I fell in. I am lost. I am helpless. But it's not my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2, 
I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fell in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it's not my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in because now it's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am, and it is my fault. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. See, this is what repentance is. This is the invitation that Jesus says, I'm inviting you to repent, to turn and go a different direction. I'm inviting you to walk down a different road. Because that road that you're on, you're continuing to fall into the same pit. You're continuing to look for life, and it continues to to, to leave you shallow. The invitation of repentance is take a different street. Take a different road and follow me. You're going to take this journey with us. You're going to need hope. You may need to repent. You're going to need to form some new habits. I think this is true for all of us. All of us hope this year will be better than last year, but but if we're honest with ourselves, and if I'm honest with myself, we have uphill hopes and downhill habits. We all have these uphill hopes, right? Anything worth trying, anything uh, worthwhile is uphill, and we all have these uphill dreams. We have uphill hopes, but we have downhill habits that just don't get us to where we want to be right listen listen we all can hope that this year will be better than next year hope is crucial right right but hope is not a strategy in other words you just you just can't hope there needs to be some systems that we put in place in order to get where god wants us to be right i I can hope that the cardinals are going to win the super bowl this year they're not going to win the super bowl this year right? Every year, every team starts off with the same goals. Everybody hopes that they're going to win the championship, but hope is not a strategy, right? Hope may, may jumpstart you. Hope may get you going, but hope will not get you to where you need to be. Sean Covey says this, that our habits either make us or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. Look at Romans 12. I'm going to read it to you out of the message. I've been reading a lot of the message lately. I like how it flows and the artistic slant that it puts on it. It says, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. And what will he do? He will change you. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Listen, here's the best thing that you can do today as we embark on this new journey, you can dedicate, you can submit, you can yield your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. You can offer it before God. You can take the next 362 days of this year and you could submit your life, yield your life, yield your days to the Lordship of Jesus and then see what Jesus can do through you. What will he do? He will change you from the inside out. Give him a year, 
and he will bring out the best in you. All right, so as, 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 we, as we unpack this t- today, let's look at why it's so difficult to establish healthy habits. Now, there's a lot that I need to cover today. We're only going to get through a portion of it. We'll continue the rest of it next week. But let's start by looking at why establishing healthy habits is so difficult. Here's, here's my first thought, is that we underestimate the power of small change. See, when, when, when we hear the word atomic, we think of the atomic bomb. And that's how we want change to happen. We want one giant explosion of sweeping transformation. I come to church one time, an atomic bomb of change goes, and I am a different person when I walk out. That's how we want change to happen, but that is not how transformation occurs. Listen to the synonyms for the word atomic. This is out of Webster's. It means tiny, microscopic, miniature, immeasurably small, and it actually gave this one, teensy-weensy, right? So when we're talking about atomic habits, it's not this atomic bomb that drops, it's this teensy-weensy change, one small step, one what seems to be an insignificant decision at a time, one small step at a time that leads to something quite extraordinary, right? Claire says this, that small adjustments lead to massive transformation. Why? Because our lives are not lived in a vacuum. That, that each action creates a path that leads to other actions. Now, this is a biblical principle. The book is not a biblical book. I don't even think he's a Christian. But what he's talking about is a biblical principle known as what you reap or what you sow, you will reap. In other words, whatever you give yourself to, you will get more of it because life is not lived in a vacuum. Look at Proverbs 22. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, because life is not in a vacuum. Look at Hosea 8.7. It's a paraphrase. If you sow a wind, you will reap a whirlwind. What, 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 What is Scripture saying? It's saying that whatever you give yourself to now will be amplified later. Whatever you plant, you will get more of. The farmer can plant a single kernel of corn, but will reap multiple ears of corn, right? It's this idea of multiplication. Whatever you give yourself to, if you sow a wind, in time you will get a whirlwind coming back to you. So it's a good time to ask yourself, what are you planting? What are you sowing into? Whatever it is that you're giving yourself to, you will reap more of that. Sow a wind, reap a whirlwind. It has a snowballing effect. Look at Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he or she will also reap. Look at what it says in the New Living Translation. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So what are you planting? Whatever you are planting today is what you will reap tomorrow many days from tomorrow. This is the idea. Do not underestimate the power of small moments. I've told you this before, but small investments over large blocks of time have a compounding or cumulative effect. We have this idea that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, that he waves his magic wand, and suddenly we wake up the next morning and all of our problems are solved. But that's not typically the way that it works. 
See, what actually happens is we are invited to make small, seemingly insignificant investments into spiritual things. And if you are faithful in making small investments into spiritual things, over time they compound upon one another and they lead to massive transformation. It's one small step at a time. One seemingly insignificant decision at a time that will have a cumulative effect. Look at John 15. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that there will even be more fruit, more fruitful. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, here's the small little steps, remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Look at the progression that Jesus takes us through. No fruit, some fruit, much fruit, and then lasting fruit. How does it happen? It happens by small steps, small decisions that keep you connected to the vine. It's not one giant leap that suddenly you're fruitful, right? It's one small, insignificant decision at a time that leads you there. So you read your Bible one time, don't be surprised if your life hasn't turned around. Right? Do it with, with over time, with one small investment after another, and transformation will happen. Listen, it's the small moments in life that make us. We like to think that it's the major moments, but it's actually the small moments in life that make us. But see, we, we tend to overestimate the big moments and we underestimate the small moments. We want the atomic bomb change that instantly transforms everything. We want one conversation that solves our marital issues. Right, guys? We want, we want one night of romance that makes it all better. That's how men think. Right? We want one counseling appointment. We want one week at the gym. Right? We, want, we want the atomic bomb of change to drop on us. This is why we play the lottery. Because I don't want to have to make small, minute changes in order to slowly get myself out of debt. I would rather have my financial woes solved by one scratch of the quarter. Right? Because, because it's atomic, it's instant. This is what we do. We overvalue major moments and we undervalue minor moments, but it is the minor, the small moments in life that actually make us for better or for worse. Right? Do not underestimate the power of small changes. Small investments over large blocks of time have a compounding or cumulative effect. So what are you investing in? Why establishing healthy habits is so difficult. Here's my second thought. Is we give up because we do not see change fast enough. We live in an instant society. Right? I want what I want and I want it now. And so we do not endure long enough to see what is known as lagging indicators. Right? The positive lagging indicators. For example, weight is a lagging indicator of your eating style and your exercise habits. Relationship health is a lagging indicator of the time spent investing in that relationship. Clutter is a lagging indicator of your organizational skills. Your grades are a lagging indicator of time spent studying. Debt is a lagging indicator of your spending habits. Our spiritual health is a lagging indicator of our spiritual disciplines. Look, we all want change to happen like this. We'll put it up on the screen. 
but we have results and we have time. We all want change to, to go up and to the right, right? This is what we all want to see, right? I, I want to I come to church on the new year, and I want to just feel and see the change up and to the right and let it happen quickly. But this is typically what we experience, right? It, it's, this, it's this flat plateau. There doesn't seem to be any increase. There doesn't seem to be any movement. I'm not sure if anything's even going on. And so midway through this, we, we quit. And what do we say? Like, this didn't work for me. Right? The gym didn't work. Eating healthy didn't work for me. Right? But in reality, we just didn't stick with it long enough to see the lagging indicators. This is why people say God didn't work for me. Because we come to church for two, three weeks at a time, two months at a time, and we say, well, God didn't do anything for me. What are we saying? We're saying, well, God didn't change my life instantly because we didn't stick around long enough to see the lagging indicators. We wanted the atomic bomb drop where God solves all of our problems, but it's one step. One step at a time got you into your problem, and one step at a time with Jesus will get you out of your problem. But it's over time, right? We give up because we do not see change quick enough, right? Hey, I, I read my Bible for two weeks straight, and I still want to choke out my boss. It's not working. I spent an hour and a half at the gym and I stepped on the scale, and I weigh more than I did before I went. Oh, uh, yeah, 30 minutes at the gym was spent at a ju juice bar. Okay, yeah. And 45 minutes in a good soak. But that other 15 minutes, I hit it hard. All right, I'm 20K in debt, and you decide to buckle down and to, and to save, and you pay an extra $200 off on that debt, and you think at the end of the month, you're like, now I owe $19,800. Right, because this is what we experience. It's a slow, gradual change. And this space in between, this is called the valley of disappointment. And this is when we quit. This is when we say, it doesn't work for me. But if you can persevere, if you can understand that it's small, minor changes, one minor step at a time that may not even feel like there's any movement happening, but if you can trust the system eventually progress will happen, right? This is what they say in anything, whether it's in, in investing, whether it's in your health, whether it's in spiritual disciplines, if you can trust the system, that good things will come. This is what we are looking at today. So let's not drop out all because we don't see instant change. Look at Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Man sows what he reaps, whatever Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, working a system, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you can just persevere, if you can understand that it's one small step, one seemingly insignificant decision, one small step forward, that over time you will reap a harvest. Whatever you plant, you will reap. So listen, if you're coming back to church, as part of your New Year's resolution, right, and you haven't been here for months, and you're like, I'm going to start, I'm going to start going back to church, don't be frustrated when you walk out those doors and you don't feel like a saint, right? You need to invest yourself Offer God the next 362 days and see what God will do. 
Come as many Sundays as you can make it. Get involved in a regroup that will launch in February, right? Get involved in serving somewhere, and he will perform the change from the inside out. It will happen if you stick around long enough to see the lagging indicators. And there are stories all across this church of people who can tell you it's true. I started, and I didn't see it. And I became frustrated, but I stuck with it. And I kept pursuing, and I kept working the spiritual discipline system until it started to happen in me. Change began to happen. Why is establishing healthy habits so difficult? Number three, there is no immediate consequence if you skip an installment. Right? We're lulled into a false sense of security. You miss a day at the gym, it's no big deal. I went to the gym on uh, Friday. I didn't go on Sunday. I woke up today, nothing looked different. Uh, you had an extra dessert on Christmas Eve, eh. and then you had an extra dessert Christmas Day, eh. and then you had an extra dessert New Year's Eve, okay, and then New Year's Day, right? And then you stepped on the scale, and there was no change. And you think maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe I can continue to eat like this, and, there, and, and, and I won't be affected. But in reality, we're lulled into a false sense of security because we do not see an immediate result. There's not an immediate consequence if you skip, skip an installment. Right? You can be self-absorbed for a day or a week or a month, and your marriage won't end in divorce. You can miss a family dinner, and the kids aren't running the streets. Neglect caring for your soul, and your soul doesn't turn dark the next day. You skip church for a couple of weeks, and nothing happens. There's no tragic consequences. Right? And because there are no immediate consequences, we undervalue the role of consistency and the role of small actions that bring big change. Pastor Greg Groeschel says this, that everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Listen, listen. Rarely will you wreck your life with one step. Right? It's, it's a compromise here. It's a fudge here. It's keeping this in secret. I know we all like to tell the story of the one step that sent us over the cliff, but in reality, it was one small step at a time, one bad decision at a time, one seemingly insignificant accident at a time that pushed, up, up, that pushed us up against that ledge. Right? This is what we're up against. It works both ways. Small steps can lead us to destruction. Small investments into godly things can lead us to life. Listen, just as there is a cumulative effect from small positive investments over large blocks of time, there is a cumulative effect from neglect over large blocks of time. You can neglect something and you'll get by. But over large blocks of time, if you neglect it long enough, you will see the lagging indicators. And it actually gets a little worse. Because there is a tipping point. There is a point of no return that barring divine intervention from God, you can neglect your health, your marriage, your children, your job, your finances for so long that there is no coming back. Listen, there is a tipping point where you can neglect your marriage, that relationship for so long, you'll, that marriage will never be restored. Barring divine intervention, and we can certainly pray for that, right? But that's the atomic bomb drop. I, 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 I don't, I don't want to have to make the decisions to sow into hell. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and then pray for God to drop the atomic bomb and change everything. There comes a point, a tipping point, where it may not be restored. 
because that other person has a decision. They have a choice in this. This is the reality of small decisions that bring life change. This is why we say that life is formed in the small moments. It's the small decisions that lead to large growth. So, what habits do you need to form in 2021? There's a lot more that I can say on this that I'll say next week. I don't want to rush through it because the meat of the introduction actually will happen next week as we're talking about habits that are birthed out of who we are and identity. We'll talk about in weeks to come how do we start habits, healthy habits, how do we break bad habits. But just for today, let, let me just ask, what are some of the habits that you need to establish within yourself in 2021? What does that look like? Listen. Position yourself for small steps that over time will accumulate into something quite unique. Two things I want to leave you with today before I pray. Romans 12.1, maybe this is what struck you. I'll read it to you again. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God. Maybe this is your challenge for 2021. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've just kind of been dipping your toe in the water and, and right, you're searching for life in all the wrong places. And maybe this is what you need to commit to. Right? That you can fix your attention on God and allow Him to transform you from the inside out and be assured that God will begin to bring the best out of you. That's what He does. Maybe this is your challenge. Perhaps your challenge came in John 4 where Jesus had the encounter with the woman at the well, and maybe you've forgotten the generosity of God. Maybe 2020 robbed you of hope and you forgot who God is. You forgot what God is like. And your challenge today is to be reminded of who He is, what He is like, and then make an ask. And He will give you what you crave. But can I tell you, let's not go small on this. Let's say, well, God, you know, you're generous, so I'm asking for a new car. Listen, no. That's not going to change your life. What needs to happen within you? Right? The idea of this whole thing is she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And so God's, God, Jesus is saying, look, if you only knew, I could give you what you're seeking. So what is it that you're seeking in life today? And if you only knew the generosity of God, he would give you what you crave. Maybe that's your challenge. This year is to begin to ask and to be reacquainted with a generous God who is your good shepherd. Pray with me. In whatever way you communicate with God, there's no right or wrong way. I want you to just take a moment. And if you're in that first category and you need to commit the next 362 days, I want you to just do that. Maybe that's your action item today. To say, I am submitting, I am yielding my life to you.
Now, if that's where you're at, you may need to repent of something. I want you to see it as a gift that God is offering you to turn and go in a different direction. Listen, I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, right? He, he's, he's prompting you with something that maybe is something in your life that you need to repent over because you're working against God right now. You just take that moment to confess and then begin to move in the opposite direction. Maybe you're in that last category, and for you, you just need to become reacquainted with the generosity of God. Maybe you've been searching for a soul crave within you. We all crave love. We all crave meaning. We all crave significance and identity. And maybe you've been, you've been searching for that soul crave in all the wrong places, and today you've been reminded your God is generous and you've heard Jesus say if you only knew if you only knew how much I love you if you only knew the plans I have for you if you only knew what I was like if you only knew what I want to offer you would ask and I would give it and I would give you I will give you what you crave most life start off on a transformation journey this year, Lord, recognizing that it's in the small steps that you will lead us to great things. Holy Spirit, would you keep the thoughts of today upon us, anchor us in them, teach us throughout the week. Remind us throughout the week, enlighten us throughout the week. I pray a blessing over our entire church in 2021 that you would accomplish all that you desire within us one small step at a time. In the name of our Savior Jesus, Amen.